Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 16 of Twin, Twin Talk, Talk MN. MN. I'm Ryan. And I'm Andrew. And today, we have a really great episode because the NBA playoffs are deep underway. Every series has at least three games, and I believe two or three series have four games. Tons of news out of the NBA playoffs will break it all down. In the MLB, the season is really shaping up, and now we are really able to see which guys are really having good seasons in the NFL. We know there's tons of news around Aaron Rodgers, but another star player in the league just brought a ton more trade rumors around. We'll get to all that and more on this episode. But Andrew, let's jump right in to the NBA. Andrew, let's remember, there are eight series right now in the NBA. One of them is done. Can you break at least a couple of those down for us? We have on the first series that is already over is the Bucks versus the Heat. If you remember last week, we really didn't have that many playoff games, but we did have the Bucks versus the Heat game one, where it was a super tight game. Went to overtime. Chris Middleton nails that um, buzzer beater to ice the win in overtime. You might say, oh my God, how is the series already over? How many games did they only play? Like three, four? And they played four. In the last three games, have not been close. Not even close. I believe the Bucks have won by a combined almost 100 points. They're averaging maybe 20 or 30 points a win over the Heat. Now, it's really due to Chris Middleton just going off. And kind of because the Heat really, in my opinion, aren't a very good team. Jimmy Butler is definitely, in my opinion, an all-star. Bam Adebayo is an upcoming star, and so is Victor Oladipo. But... Adebayo and Butler are defenders. Oladipo, maybe he'll give you 18 points a game. But Tyler Hero, Demarcus Robinson, I I don't know. Duncan Robinson, I feel like they need more. So the Bucs rolled over the Heat, swept them four games. They're out there. Bucs are going to the next round to play either the Nets or the Celtics. In that series, the Nets took game one, even though they were down. Even though Jason Tatum put up an amazing game. It was too much by Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. In game two, the Nets came back sizzling, and they wanted to kill this game. And that's exactly what they did. They demolished the Celtics, and they took that game two, two to zero. Then in game three, the Celtics said, this is enough. They came back. Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum as well came back with a resounding game three win. Right now, the series is 2-1 for the Nets. I'm almost positive the Nets will win the series, but if the Celtics do, they would have to go through the Bucks, who just swept the Heat as a 3-6 Now, in the 1-8 seed, with the 76ers versus the Washington Wizards, it was two games this year. The 76ers were winning by kind of a couple close games until yesterday when Joel Embiid just went off. And I don't mean 30 points in 15 rebounds. I mean 30 points in the first half. Joel Embiid, that's right, had 30 points in his first half. His half playoff career high in points per game. Just an amazing night for Joel Embiid and the 76ers as they take a 3-0 lead in that series. I just feel like the 76ers are going to be a great team. Yeah, so the 76ers are up 3-0 in that series. A big wild card is going to be Cam Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook. It will show that they deserve to be in this 8th seed, but I'm almost positive even if they can, the 76ers will take that next game. In the 4v5 series, the Knicks versus the Hawks as the one that I said I don't really care about. And to be honest, it's kind of proof. The game one was very exciting towards the end. Spike Lee, the Knicks super fan, was jumping up and down. Derrick Rose nailed an amazing floater, but Trey Young shushed the entire stadium with an amazing free th- with an amazing layup to end that game and win game one. Then game two, Obi Toppin apparently had a really good game. I don't know, I didn't want to watch. And the Knicks took that game. First win since 2013. Good win for them. Then in game three, the Hawks came back with Trey Young. Just marvelous, just amazing. Trey Young basketball, and they took that game 2-1 Hawks. This series is actually one that I feel like could be won by the Knicks just because of Julius Randle. He's not been playing well whatsoever. Now, he's kind of playing like he did last year and basically every year besides this year, which is really, really scary because if he doesn't return to that most improved player status, and the Knicks really don't have a hope even if they can win this series, and then they have to go up against the Sixers, who are up 3-0. I do not like those odds. Now, Ryan, 
I'd like you to walk us through the Western Conference playoffs. But just before I do, I just want to ask you about the East. Now, we saw the Bucks dominate. Sixers were dominating. Nets doing pretty well. Who's your pick? I mean, I hate to say it, but I still got to go with the Nets. I mean, I love this 76ers team, and I think they would definitely end up playing. Um, I definitely think they'll end up playing the Nets in the conference championship. But just sort I have to pick the Nets. If they really want to win, and they really need a win, I, I just think it's almost impossible to beat this team. I mean, great. So you've Ben Simmons, someone who's probably going to win the Defensive Player of the Year award, guarding Kyrie Irving. Great. Who's going to guard James Harden? I don't know. You're going to have Danny Green, maybe? Seth Curry? Both the guys who are two of the worst defending players in the league? Maybe you have Matisse Thibel, who's more of a bench player? Maybe? But I don't know. I just feel like whoever the Sixers put on the Nets, it just won't be enough. Now, if the 76ers win, would I be shocked? No. This team has a great MVP candidate in Joel Embiid. As I said, one of the guys most likely to win Defensive Player of the Year in Ben Simmons. And they have another one of the best role players in the league in Tobias Harris. But I just feel like this team just does not have the star power that the Nets have. I mean, really, no one does in the league, but this team also really doesn't. So I've got to go with the Nets. Now, moving on to the Western Conference. This conference has been a lot closer over this last week of the playoffs. Right now, we have one matchup that's gone four games. You might say, ooh, Ryan, was it a 4-0 sweep? Nope, it's tied 2-2 two two between the Denver Nuggets and the Portland Trailblazers. 2-2. Two two. Now, both teams have had some good games and some not-so-good games. But again, what it's really coming down to is Damian Lillard for the Portland Trailblazers and Nikola Jokic for the Denver Nuggets. Both guys definitely top 10 in MVP voting. Both guys had marvelous seedings. Seasons leading their teams by a ton. No one else on their team came close. Now, both teams have another decent guy who's on the brink of an all-star. That's CJ McCollum for the Portland Trailblazers and Michael Porter Jr. for the Denver Nuggets. Now, when you look at everyone else on both teams, they're around equal. When you look at those two guys for each team, they're about equal. So that's just really who is going to step up. If every guy does exactly what they're supposed to, it's going to be a really close series. But... If Damian Litter goes out and drops 50 points on a night, they could win. If Nikola Jokic comes out and drops a 35-point triple-double, they could also win this series. Personally, I think the Portland Trailblazers are going to win this series. And I might say, Ryan, I was pretty bold. You, you remember that the Denver Nuggets were the second-best team in the Western Conference for a good part of the season. And that's true. But Jamal Murray's out. Michael Porter Jr. is not doing that one in the past. Nikola Jokic might be great at stats. But we've seen from the past that it doesn't always help you, especially with Russell Westbrook and his past. But some other things that we see, I mean, Damian Lillard, he can make it when he wants. He's maybe the most clutch player in the game. This team has a lot of playoff experience. Robert Covington, Norman Powell. Just have got to go with the Trailblazers. Now, would I be surprised if I want the Nuggets? No, I would not. But got to pick the Blazers. Every other series in the West is 2-1. Doubt. Dallas currently leads the Clippers 2-1. to one. Now, a lot of people are thinking it's Luka Doncic for the Mavericks versus Kawhi Leonard and Paul George for the Clippers. And that's basically what it's been the entire series. Basically, every game, Luka Doncic has played super well, but Kawhi and Paul George have both played well enough to make it close. But Luka Doncic has continued to just outplay them. Andrew, now this series... As I said, the keys to the series are definitely Luka Doncic and Claude Leonard and Paul George. What do you think some keys are to the series that don't include those three guys? Well, Ryan, one really important player for both teams that I just want to highlight is their big men. Now, for the Mavericks, they have Kristaps Porzingis and I believe Dwight Powell is, or maybe Willie Carlstein. Let's say Willie Carlstein and Kristaps Porzingis. Now, Porzingis, when he came to Dallas, he was supposed to be Luka's right-hand man. His guy right there giving him 20 points and 10 rebounds every single game in the playoffs coming up clutch. But he hasn't done that. He has not done that whatsoever. And don't get me wrong, Luka Doncic is an amazing player. A phenomenal player. Maybe the best in the league. Ryan and I had discussed this a lot. But 
Even LeBron James, who for a while was probably the best player on planet Earth, cannot do it alone. He needs more help. Luka Doncic needs more help. On the Clippers' side, yes. They probably have more of a team. But Kawhi and Paul George have not even been playing close to Luka. Now that it's because Luka's playing out of his mind. But you need Kawhi and Paul George. Paul George, you got to stop playing like playoff P. Whatever that really means, I don't really know. Just in the playoffs, you kind of suck. Then for Kawhi, I understand that you're a defender, but you got to start putting up 25 points a game. You just got to. They're big men. Yes, they are very playoff bound. Marcus Morris, who has been to tons of playoffs with the Celtics and then the next couple years ago. And then you also have Serge Ibaka, who won that championship on the Raptors, who was decent for the Thunders. But they got Rajon Rondo. That is one reason why I do like the Clippers at least winning another game in the series just because of how good he is in the playoffs playoff Rondo. I have to say, Ryan, you can um, give your input too, but I still like the Mavericks in this series. The Clippers, I did say, I, I think they'll win another game. My opinion, I see the Mavericks going up 3-1, Clippers making it close, winning the next game, and then the Mavericks finishing them off with a 4-2 victory in the series. Yeah, Andrew, I completely agree. That definitely seems how likely it will go. Luka Doncic is just too much for anyone on the Clippers to handle. I mean, this is what just people are saying. Kawhi Leonard is not young enough, and he's not able to guard Luka Doncic. Patrick Beverly, on the other hand, is one of the most aggressive players in the league and has been credited with shutting down top guards in the league. But those were shorter guys like Stephen Curry or Damian Lillard. Luka Doncic is not short in any fashion at all. This guy sometimes even plays power forward for that. So I feel like just guarding Luka. If the Clippers can lock down Luka, I would say that the Clippers have a chance. But until they do... I agree with Andrew. I think Dallas is going to take this one. Now, Andrew, moving on to the next series, which is not super exciting, but it's still something that we have to talk about. The Utah Jazz versus the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, Andrew, this is a 1v8 seed. And when you look at the Eastern Conference, you see the 76ers blowing out the Wizards in all three games. The Wizards getting upset. The 76ers dominating. They're moving on to the next round. But when you look at the Western Conference, and you see the Jazz versus the Grizzlies, Andrew, the Grizzlies have been playing pretty well. Last night... They, they made it really close. I believe the Jazz won by maybe six, seven. And a couple of nights ago, the Grizzlies won. And in that first game of the series, the Grizzlies made it close, given Donovan Mitchell wasn't playing, but they still made it close. Andrew, you think the Grizzlies can steal this thing? If so, how? Ryan? No way. There is no way the Grizzlies can steal this thing. Yes, I agree. The Grizzlies have kept it close. But do you know why they won that game one? Also, by the way, that was a week ago because we had already known about it after our first episode. But Ryan, do you know how they won that game? Donovan Mitchell was not there. He was not there in that game. They lost that game by only three points after John Morant and Dylan Brooks had basically the game of their career. John Morant, I believe, put up 45 points. Dylan Brooks had like four steals and like four blasts. Right. And they only won by three without the Jazz's best player being there. Right. The Jazz since then have been phenomenal. And yes, it's been close a couple games. But I've been watching. And there's no chance for the Grizzlies in any in either of those last two games. Either of the last two games. If Donovan Mitchell is on the court for at least 20 minutes a game. The Jazz are the winners of that series. I'm sorry. The Grizzlies are not going to win another game. And if they do, the Jazz are going to win every other game. The Jazz are such a better team. I agree the Grizzlies have put some magic. They put it on Stephen Curry. They put it on the Jazz in game one. But not again. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree that the Jazz seem like the favorites. But I just feel like, again, John Morant, we've seen him do wonders. The only person on the Jazz we've seen do wonders is Donovan Mitchell. And don't get me wrong. The Jazz easily have the most well-rounded team in the game. They have their scorer, Donovan Mitchell. They have their defender, Rudy Gobert. They have their assist, great distributing point guard in Mike Conley. They have a great bench scorer in Jordan Clarkson. They have two amazing three-point shooters in Bojan Bogdanovic and Jingles. They have a great guy who's just solid defense and solid all around in Royce O'Neal. They have a great backup center who's able to lock down the other team's center in Derek Favors. This team is the most well-rounded team in the league. I'm not going to lie. But what happens to a well-rounded team when one pivotal guy gets out, like Donovan Mitchell? Now, I'm not saying he's going to miss another game, but if he has an off day, who's going to score? Clarkson, maybe 30. Gobert, maybe 15. Conley, maybe 15. 
all of their three-point shooters maybe combined for 20? I don't know. It's going to be tough to accumulate points. Now the Grizzlies. Jonas Valanciunas. Dylan Brooks. John Morant. Xavier Tillman. DeAnthony Melton. I don't know. It's going to be a rough series for the Grizzlies, but I do think the Jazz will still come out on top. But I won't be surprised if they force two games seven. We'll have to see what happens. Now, Andrew, one more series in the West to get to. And this one is a doozy. If he wants to have any chance at moving on to the next match, him, Devin Booker, Dondre Ayn, Michael Bridges, they gotta all step up. Booker, you gotta put up 30 a night. Chris Paul, you gotta put up 15 points and 15 assists. Michael Bridges, you gotta put up 20 points. Dondre Ayn, you gotta put up 14 points and 14 rebounds. If none of them can do that, you got no chance. Monty Williams went coach of the year just like two or three nights ago. And you know why? Do you know why? Because he... Takes that team far. He knows that they may not have the most complete roster. He knows they may not have a championship roster. But you know what he does have? A roster who's going to make it to the second round. Who's not going to get out in the first round. A big thing too is defending LeBron AD. It's Ryan, you were saying. In the first game, they shut AD down. He had a terrible game. And you know how much they won by? A lot. Because they stopped Anthony Davis. If you can hold LeBron to, let's say, 13 points. Hold Anthony Davis to, let's say, 17 points. You will win. You will win if you can play good defense, which Chris Paul and Devin Booker really need to do. John Ayton has to guard John, has to guard a Anthony Davis with all his human power. And if he does, I will pick the Suns to win the series. Ryan, I, I don't know who's going to win. If I was just looking at the series and I saw who was on each team, I'd say the Lakers. But the way the Suns played this season, the way that Chris Paul has turned this team into a two, into the number two seed, I still have to go with the Lakers. I completely agree. Again, I hate to say it. I hate to bet against the two seed. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayn, Michael Bridges, and Jay Crowder. But again, just like in the NFL, everyone always says, don't bet against Brady. Never bet against Brady. He always defies the odds. And I don't want to compare LeBron James to Tom Brady because they're two very different people. But just don't bet against LeBron. Just just don't. When people say, oh my gosh, Kyrie Irving left the Cavaliers in 2014 or whatever year it was. I think it might have been 2016. There's no way that LeBron can get them back. And you know what? They made the NBA Finals. Everyone bet against LeBron and he showed them. When the Lakers were down 3-1 in the championship 
against the Warriors. Everyone counted them out. Everyone bet against LeBron. And you know what? He never bet against LeBron. Because he went back and he won that series. LeBron James has taught us never to bet against him. Now, do I think they'll win the championship? Probably not. So am I going to bet against him? I guess I am. But I just feel like in this series, it would just be the wrong thing of me to say to bet against LeBron James. Let's move on. Now, Andrew, in the NBA, again, we know we're in playoff mode. Eight matchups, one is over, so we have seven left. Andrew, if any of these matchups are going to go to a game seven, which one is it? Brian, it's going to be the Hawks versus the Knicks. Now, as I said, this is not going to be a very good matchup. And you know what? I stand by that. Before talking about a matchup, we're really either game, really any game could go either way. It's definitely going to be that series itself. Now, both teams are very unpredictable. They have one scorer who's very talented. They have some okay guys. And that's about it. So it's really who's going to go off on any given night. If Julius Randle is going to go off for 30 points and 15 rebounds, then they're going to win that game. If Trey Young is going to go off for 40 points and 6 assists, then they're going to win that game. If Clint, if Clint Capella is going to go off for 20 points and 20 rebounds, then they're going to win that game. If Derrick Rose can go off for 30 points, then they're going to win that game. You really never know what's going to happen with these two teams, but I feel like it could go to a game 7. Ryan, we'll talk about this in the East. Let's talk about in the West. Who is your pick right now for the championship? I mean... I just don't know. Again, the Jets are looking shaky. But as I said, they are the most well-rounded team in the league, which no one can deny. Then, look at the two seed, the Suns. Both Andrew and me picked them to lose against the Lakers. So, doesn't seem that likely that they'll be able to beat the Lakers, then win the next round, and then beat another team. It seems unlikely. Okay, so let's look at the three seed. That's the Nuggets who both of us picked to lose this round. Okay, let's look at the four seed. We've got the Clippers, who both of us picked to lose. So, just the question becomes, who's going to make it then? And to be honest, I just don't know. If I had to say, which I do, I just have to go with the Lakers. I feel like LeBron and Anthony Davis won't let any series get away from them. Andre Drummond needs this deep playoff run to really revamp his career. And I feel like just no other team stands I could have a chance. Now, do I think the Jazz and the Sun, do I think the Jazz can make it? Definitely. And would I be surprised at all at a Jazz-Lakers conference championship? Not at all. That is what I'm going to predict. Jazz-Lakers. And do I think it'll be a close series? Well, yes, I do. But I've got to pick the Lakers to come out of the West. Unless maybe an unpopular opinion, but it just seems clear to me. Now, that's enough about the NBA. We've already been talking about this for almost 25 minutes. So, let's move on to Major League Baseball. Now, Andrew, as I said at the start of this podcast, we've really started to see who are the top players in this league and who are the not-so-good players in this league. So far, Andrew, every team in the MLB has played at least, or almost every team has played 50 games. Now, Andrew, we keep on talking about the playoffs every single week. The Giants are doing really well. The Dodgers aren't that good. We talked a lot about different teams. But now, Andrew, I think we should talk about the players. Now, just some stats that jump right off the page immediately. It's just the American League batting average leaders. When we look at who is in third place as of yesterday, and who do we see? We don't see a seasoned veteran. No, we do not. As Andrew said last week, we see a rookie, Yerman Mercedes, the catcher for the White Sox. Now, at the start of the season, we said, wow, everyone knows this guy who's doing pretty well. He's a rookie. He's going to do worse eventually. But you know what? That hasn't happened. This guy is third in the American League in batting average. And that's incredible. And you might think, oh, well, is everyone hitting bad? Nope. As of yesterday, he was in third place, hitting 335. That's over 33%. And he was only two points behind Vladimir Guerrero Jr. for second. And only four points behind Xander Bogarts for first. Now, this is no surprise about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Xander Bogarts as two of the top hitters in our game. But Andrew, just again, when we look at who's leading the American League in home runs, you know who it is? Another 
rookie, Adolis Garcia, who speeds, who sped onto the American League leaders in every category just a couple of weeks ago. And I said last week, I just heard about this guy. And right now, people are now hearing that he's one of the best hitters in the game as a rookie. The last time we had this was, I mean, in their absolute rookie season? I don't know. Might have been Aaron Judge, maybe. Or might have been Pete Alonzo. But, I mean, these guys are really taking it to a whole new level. I mean, what he saw out of Pete Alonzo, he was just all power. Now we know he is nothing else. He's getting injured. When you look at these guys, sorry, Jermaine Martinez is hitting 337. The last time we had a rookie that hit this good was, I don't even know when. Maybe like Mike Trout. I don't know. But just these rookies are really putting on a show. But Andrew, just when we look at the top teams in the league and why, we got to look at the Houston Astros. As of yesterday, they had, they had Jordan Alvarez hitting 310. Jose Altuve hitting 311, Yuli Gurriel hitting 312, and Alex Bregman hitting 313. Now, I don't even want to talk about how creepy that is. They four guys all hitting exactly one point in batting average away from each other. That's super creepy. But, just to really go show you how good this team really is. They have four guys hitting above 300. I believe that the next best team with guys that are hitting above 300... I don't know. I mean, maybe I think it's the Red Sox. They have two. Two? The Astros have four guys hitting above 300, which is nuts. Now, when we look at the pitching side of the leaders this year, what just jumps off the page is the two leaders in American League ERA. Now, in our top five of yesterday, we see Tyler Glasnow, we see Hinjin Ryu, we see Garrett Cole, all guys that you would expect. Guys, seasoned veterans. We always know what we're going to get out of them. But three guys that no one expected. Carlos Rodon, the guy who threw the no-hitter. And when it happened, Andrew and I both agreed. This is out of the ordinary for him. This guy's never been a great pitcher. How'd he throw a no-hitter? You know what? Because this year, he has a 1.3 ERA. Yeah, you heard me, right? 1.3. That's if he pitched nine innings, he'd give up 1.3 runs. Now think about your favorite team. And think about what would happen if they only scored 1.3 runs per game. You'd go crazy because that's terrible offense. But Hector Ron, or Carlos Rodon is averaging that. Only 1.3 runs given up per nine innings, which is craziness. That's insane. And another guy is John Means. Now, this year, he's been continually great for the ba- for the Baltimore Orioles, but just, he continues to be dominant, having a 1.8 ERA, second in the American League. And Andrew, just one more guy that just, I can't understand what in the world is happening is Kyle Gibson, pitcher for the Texas Rangers. Now, I don't know how this guy is. I guess maybe Andrew can look it up, but just, Kyle Gibson is having his best career season. Now, I don't think I've ever seen in my life a guy's best career season coming when he's over 30. I mean, I've just never seen it. You think about players. You think, okay, their prime is maybe, I don't know, maybe like 26 or maybe like 24 to 29. No one's really been that good in their career over 30. But when you just look at guys who have their best career season over 30, I don't know. I mean, the list is pretty short. You got Steph Curry, who might have had the best career year of his, the best year of his career this year. I don't know. It's a pretty short list. But it seems like Kyle Gibson is on it this year, having a dominant ERA of 2.24, which is crazy this year. As I said, just being one of the oldest pitchers in the game, having an absolutely dominant season. Yeah. Those are some interesting leaders in the American League. Now, in the National League, Andrew. As we said, in the American League, there are tons of good hitters. But just one guy that's just above the rest. I mean, this guy is just playing absolutely out of his mind. It's just Nicholas Castellanos. And you might think, Ryan, who's, in, who's that guy? Isn't he like a decent power hitter for the Reds? And he can do a lot more than that. He currently is leading the week in batting average, hitting 360. 
This guy is getting a hit in 36 out of 100 of his at-bats. That is crazy. And I believe would be a top five batting average all time to end the season, which is absolutely ludicrous. And you might think, oh, well, maybe he's just not swinging anything and just always gets on base. And that is partly true. But in home runs, he is fifth in the National League with 12. The leader has 15 in slugging percentage, which is what percent of their at-bats, I believe, they get an extra base hit in. He is leading the National League and second in the game. When you look at on-base percentage, he is second in the National League, which is crazy. When you look at the most hits in the National League, he is in second. When you look at the most RBIs in the National League, he is in the top 10. Just this guy. And you might think, oh, well, probably the Reds don't have anyone that good else. You know what? Nope. They also have Jesse Winker, who's having a dominant season. Absolutely dominant. Second in the National League in batting average. Third in the National League in home runs. He's also just doing so well in every other category, including run score. He is in fourth. In slugging percentage, he is in second. These two guys are really leading the way for the Reds. Hitting. They are just dominant. Just, and again, we just continue to see Ronald Acuna Jr. tearing up every stat category there is to tear up. This guy is dominating this year. Now, in the National League, it's a little bit more traditional names in the ERA. We've got Jacob deGrom, Brandon Woodruff, we got Hugh Darvish, and we've got Tyon Walker. But Andrew, just one guy, and actually another guy too, that I just really want to look at is Trevor Rogers for the Miami Marlins. Now, Andrew, no one's ever heard of this guy. What is going on with Trevor Rogers, and do you think this guy is the real deal? Ryan, really, no one ever knows what's going on with Trevor Rogers, a name that kind of surfaced last year, but people learned was going to have a good season, and oh yeah, he is coming out of his shadow, having an amazing season for the Miami Marlins, a great young pitcher. Is up for Rookie of the Year for pitchers. Just having an amazing season. Just to go over some MLB standings. Kind of crazy things right now. The worst team in baseball. Not a huge surprise here. Is the Baltimore Orioles. Very surprising when Ryan will not stop talking about John Means. Having very good outings. But they basically have no other pitchers. So next, The next best pitcher is Matt Harvey. Who was good hmm, maybe before I was born. Yeah. And then right now, the best team in the league with an amazing record, is the San Diego Padres. Fernando Tatis is having an amazing season. Manny Machado, not as good, but still very good. Yu Darvish, up for Cy Young. Just an amazing season. Next team, the Los Angeles Dodgers are also playing amazing. And then the Rays, who are just doing phenomenal. Then, my pick for the World Series. The San Francisco Giants at 30-20, and 20, a 600 winning percentage, just having a very, very good season behind that phenomenal pitching staff. I just feel like right now, a team that's really not doing well at all, but I feel like could really, really quickly turn around, is the Atlanta Braves. Right now, they're a game, they're a half game below 500, but in my opinion, I feel like with Ron Acuna playing like the MVP, with Ozzy Albies playing very, very well, they should get better, even though the pitching staff is playing worse than they've basically ever pitched before. But Ryan, one reason why the Blazers might not get better is Marcelo Zuna. Now this season, he was having maybe his worst season ever. Then, he gets injured. Then, he gets arrested. We really have no idea what is going to happen with him, or if he'll ever, ever be back in the MLB. But we'll have to see what happens, and we'll give you updates if he ever comes back. Yeah, but Andrew, also one really good news for the Braves and one really bad news. The good news is that Austin Riley, their very young third baseman, is having a monster, a monster season, really leading the way for the team in home runs, right behind Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzy Albies, having such, such a good season. The bad news, though, is that their pitcher, Mike Soroka, who last year got injured in the second week of the season and was supposed to be back this year in early June. Then it was moved to August, and now he will be out for the remainder of the season. This is a huge blow for the Braves. Now, don't get me wrong. He hadn't pitched this year, but last year, and a couple starts he made, and the year before, and a couple starts he made, he was really good. Hopefully, the Braves can get back on track. 
But while they try to do that, let's move on to the NFL. Now, Andrew, I said at the beginning of the podcast, there's another NFL superstar. There's a lot of trade rumors swirling around. Who is that? Well, Ryan, we quickly talked about it last week, but last week was more of a rumor. Now it is a cold hard fact. Julio Jones wants out of Atlanta. He wants to be traded. Now, this entire situation has been extremely confusing for me since I've never been very good at contracts or incentives and whatnot. But apparently what I've been hearing is that on June 1st, which today is May 30th, for those of you who know the dates right now, tomorrow is the 31st, and then Tuesday, the day after Memorial Day, is June 1st. Apparently on June 1st, Julio Jones, if he is traded, gets less money, or it's better that he gets traded right then for the Falcons. So apparently... They have a lot of teams calling them about trading Julio Jones. They might even have an offer or two on the table that they can accept whenever they want. So, in my opinion, nothing, probably nothing is going to happen today. Almost definitely nothing will happen tomorrow, but on June 1st, I'd be watching your phone or whatever like a hawk, but also work and go to school or whatever. But Julio Jones might get traded. Ryan, the main teams have been named as the Los Angeles, or the, whatever, where the Chargers today. Also, the San Francisco 49ers, the Tennessee Titans, maybe even Dark Horse or two. Ryan, where do you feel like Julio Jones should and will be traded? Well, um, if I'm looking at the game through Julio's eyes, I want A, a team around the main man, because in past seasons, he's really has not become that with the emergence of Calvin Ridley and now drafting Kyle Pitts. And B, most of all, he wants to win. Now, the Falcons have been terrible since their Super Bowl appearance, I believe, four years ago, where it was one of the most tough and just heart-breaking Super Bowl losses ever. And I think that really hit Julio hard as he was a really big part of that team. And ever since then, they've been absolutely terrible. This year, they really don't have a running back. But he's still pretty good. Now, don't get me wrong. Is he in his prime as the number one wide receiver in the week? Undoubtedly, and one of the best ever next. But he's still a top 10, maybe 15 wide receiver in the game. And I feel like he can still be very, very helpful to any team looking to go deep into the playoffs. Now, two teams that I feel like really will be on on the table is if I'm Julio, my number one pick undoubtedly is the San Francisco 49ers. Now, don't get me wrong. Would he be that happy in that offense? No. They have three wonderful targets who they love. Julio would not really fit in their game plan. Is there more of a short run the ball, get the ball to athletic wide receivers, and get him into space? Julio is more of a downfield offense type player, which is not what the 49ers are. And I don't think he'd really like that quarterback. The only reason why I say to go there is because A, the 49ers coach used to be Julio's coach, and that was Kyle Shanahan, and B, that team is going to win. Look at what happened two years ago. They made it to the Super Bowl and came kind of close to beating the Chiefs. Now, the Chiefs have gotten a little bit worse. 49ers have drafted a lot of good guys since then. Obviously, adding Julio Jones, they could make that push. Now, I don't know if the 49ers really want him. I mean, you wouldn't add that much. He's definitely an injury risk. But one team that I think really wants him is, and we just say this every single time, but again, it's true every time. The New England Patriots. I mean, this team needs all the help they can get on offense. At quarterback, they've matched Jones. I don't think Julio would really like playing with a rookie quarterback, but one thing that he would like is that they have no wide receivers. It's just a fact. They have none. They need all the help they can get. Anyone they bring in will immediately get a huge role. Ryan, in my opinion, the number one team that I think Julio should go to, and that is the Green Bay Packers. Now, Aaron Rodgers might leave. You know what? He might. But if I'm the Packers, I would give away Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams to go get Julio Jones. If that'll make Aaron Rodgers stay, if that'll make Julio Jones come and play with Aaron Rodgers. And in my opinion, if you have those two guys and Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams, and let's say you have to give away David Bakhtiari and Sadiri Smith to go get Julio Jones, I am fine with that. The offense would be legendary of Aaron Rodgers, top five quarterback all time. You have Julio Jones, top 10 receiver all time. Devontae Adams, the number one receiver in the game right now. And Aaron Jones, the number or a top 10 running back in the game right now. That would be so good. And Robert Tanyan, top 10 tight end. But what I feel like he will go 
Which personally, I do not like for anyone's sake whatsoever, except for maybe the quarterback, and that is the Tennessee Titans. Tons of analysts, and I've been hearing a lot on TV about that he might go to the Titans. He wants to play next to A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown would love to play next to him. He wants to go with Derrick Henry, but I just feel like for A.J. Brown, that's going to stop his growing into, in my opinion, the number one wide receiver in the league, Julio Jones. That's not a good fit for him. You have a quarterback who's going to throw you the ball maybe four times per game. He's only throwing about 16 right now. And, like, 15 of those are to A.J. Brown. You also have Josh Rounds, an amazing young star who do not want to stop his growth either. Ryan Tannehill, I feel like you got a good thing going. Keep going to A.J. Brown. Derrick Henry, you got to give him the ball. Give him the rock. Make him run people over. I just feel like that's a terrible fit for Julio. But we will see what happens and definitely tell you next week if he moves. Ryan feel like we've been doing this podcast forever, but we still have to move on since we've barely talked whatsoever. Ryan, let's talk about the Minnesota Twins real fast. Ryan, we keep on saying we're the worst team in the league, but now we are not. We're only about the fifth worst team in the league. Not great, but a big, big thing is that our pitching has come much, much better. We're not holding teams to one or zero runs like we were maybe two years ago, but we are still playing very, very well. Also, our hitting, I wouldn't say it's come alive. Like, we're going to hit, like, what was it, like a 100? is going anywhere after the terrible season under James Winston, but I'm sorry. If you have a guy who's not going to throw 30 interceptions, then you're going to go far with Tom Brady. They won the Super Bowl last year, so that move has to be an A-plus in my book. Another move that personally I loved. I said this team is going to the at least pretty close to the Super Bowl right now is with the Arizona Cardinals adding DeAndre Hopkins. I felt like when it was just Kyler Murray, Kenyon Drake, Christian Kirk, I said, eh, I won't even win five games. And then super hard NFC West. But now I said they were going to the playoffs. And I believe they didn't go very far whatsoever. I don't even think they made the playoffs just because... I don't know, Kyle Murray couldn't really throw the ball. Another really big move that I felt like I kept on forgetting, but really, it really became one, is Stephon Diggs to the Buffalo Bills. People say, oh my God, what were the Vikings thinking? They gave away the number two wide receiver in the league. And that is right. He did have an amazing season, but Justin Jefferson might have even had the only better one. And he is way younger and I feel like has a much brighter future than Diggs. But for the Buffalo Bills, when they got him, that helped Josh Allen so much. He became a top three quarterback. Diggs became a top three receiver. I feel like this was an A-plus-plus move for the Buffalo Bills. Perfectly executed. They could not have possibly known the Vikings would have used this pick amazingly and gotten Justin Jefferson, who might just be better. Ryan, last year we were also talking about who... Well, we didn't know who the Timberwolves would pick, but we knew that we were going to have a very good pick in the lottery since it was still about two months before we knew what pick we would get. And we were talking about if we got number one, who should we take? Ryan, do you remember who you said? Sadly, I do. I believe I said that we should take James Wiseman, the center out of Memphis. I said that he is too tall, he has too much height, and he has too much talent. 
and just we would be stupid to pass on him. And you know what? It would have been stupid to draft him because you know who Andrew said? Andrew really was watching college basketball well, and he made a very educated guess and really probably turned out to be the right guess. Andrew, who would you say? Ryan, I said Anthony Edwards all the way. I said this guy's offensive talent is off the charts. His um in the post is just amazing. He plays like a center, but he has the agility of a forward. I said this guy is going to be the next maybe Julius Irving. And you know what? He definitely isn't, but he reminds me of him with his amazing dunks. And uh, Ryan, I'm sorry, but James Wiseman just had maybe one of the worst rookie seasons in NBA history. Definitely not the worst, but a pretty bad one for the Golden State Warriors. Definitely things would have changed if he was on the team moves. Probably more offense. Definitely would have been our best defender. But just getting injured for basically the entire year. And when he was there, putting up like four points per game and like two rebounds. But we both, both basically missed the mark. We probably at least one of us should have said Lamelo. But, but I do remember we were both extremely off of him basically the entire draft season. But I have to say, Edwards is probably going to have a better career. But this season, it was almost definitely Lamelo ball. Ryan, we didn't talk about this last year. But just as I'm talking, I remember... That we forgot to tell you in the NBA, they're starting to give out the awards on um, the game two. The Jazz announced that Jordan Clarkson had won the sixth man of the year, the first in Jazz history. Monty Williams, we kind of sprinkled in during the podcast, won the coach of the year for the Phoenix Suns. And the most improved player was Julius Randle for the New York Knicks. I think Ryan and I can both agree that all three of these guys deserved it. They were the front runners. They definitely deserved it. Congratulations to all three of those guys. The birthday of the day, real, real fast, is Jeremy Lamb. Jeremy Lamb has basically had... Not a good career, but in my opinion, he has in the NBA professional basketball, but in my opinion, he has the best shot in NBA history. Now, it was not in the playoffs. It wasn't like he juked anyone. And you might say, Andrew, wasn't it the Kawhi shot or maybe the Ray Allen in game six of whatever 2013 finals? And no, both of those are terrible compared to Jeremy Lamb. What happened is that he was basically at half court. There were two seconds to go. They were down by one. And he was on the Hornets at this time. They had to get a bucket. They go in the lamb. There's about maybe six seconds on the clock. Pascal Siakam is going him. He tips the ball. It goes on the other side of half court. Jimmy Lamb gets the ball. Two, one. Heaves it. Heaves. Heaves. It's going. It's going. If he misses, they lose, which he almost definitely will. If it goes in, they will win. And bang off the backboard in maybe, I'd say from the opposite, maybe three-point line, and he drains it. He hits that shot to win them the game. Sadly, that was one of, like, five wins the Hornets had in maybe 2017, whenever he made that, but it was still an amazing shot. Happy birthday, Jamie Lamb. Hopefully, at least you got a small pay grade for that phenomenal shot. Ryan, let's get to the rundown in sports around the world. Ryan, in the PGA tournament, I really don't understand I don't know, but Phil Mickelson won. Apparently, it's his first major championship, and he's the oldest to win a major, I, I guess. Congratulations to Phil Mickelson. Yeah, also, Andrew, in hockey, the playoffs have regressed. The first round ended a couple of nights ago, and Saturday for our Minnesota Wild, they lost in Game 7. So the Wild season is over. If you like hockey, you should definitely continue to follow the playoffs, as apparently it's been very, very good. It should be a good playoffs, and I will continue watching. Now, sadly, some sad news around the sports world. Yesterday, as the best blocker in NBA history, Mark Eaton, sadly, passed away at the age of in his mid-60s. Now, as I, when I say best blocker, you might think, oh, maybe he was, like, just as good as Rudy Gobert, maybe averaging 2.6 blocks a game. No. No. That would just be an insult to Mark Eaton, as this guy really is the best blocker ever. I mean, this guy... I believe, was so dominant. Just so dominant blocking. Now, you might remember the one I told my story about David Robinson, one of the greatest NBA players of all time. I told you that he had a quadruple double with points, rebounds, assists, and blocks. That's 10 in each category. And I thought that was nuts. But, just marking did so much better. Now, you might think, now, in marking's worst career season, he averaged 1.2 1.2 blocks. Now, that isn't great, but it's still pretty good in the NBA. But let me just read you off some of the other seasons that he had. He 
had 5.6 blocks per game in one season. The all-time NBA leader in blocks per game, fourth place, it's 2.99. Third place, it's 3.09. Second place, it's 3.34. And you know who's first place? It's Mark Eaton at 3.5 blocks per game. Now, in Mark Eaton's worst season, he averaged 1.2 blocks per game. Second worst, 2.4, then 2.5, then 2.5. But then other than that, this guy's just nuts. As I said, his career average is 3.5. In his rookie season, rookie season, he averaged 3.4 blocks per game. In his second season, 4.3. 4.3 blocks per game. The leader in the NBA this season is 3.4. He had one more block in his second season than the NBA leader this year. That also led the league that year. But in his third year, he led the game with the most blocks per game ever in a season. It wasn't above three. It wasn't above four. It wasn't above five. It wasn't above 5.5. 5.6 blocks per game. Now, you might not understand what I'm saying, but just this guy was the best blocker of all time. And just one of his... Best teammates, Daniel Griffith, made a very funny joke one game with Mark Eaton. In one game, he finished the game with 12 blocks, 14 rebounds. Um, no, sorry, 10 points, 14 rebounds, 11 blocks on 1 for 12 shooting. And his teammate said after the game, well, Mark had a great game and he had a quadruple double. And the reporter asked him, no, he only had three categories in double digits. He said, no, he had points, rebounds, blocks, but also bricks. A brick is what people call a miss. And that's right, he had 10 misses in a game. So that's right, Mark Eaton had one of the funniest quadruple doubles. This man will be very, very missed and definitely go down as the best blocker in NBA history. Now, some happier news around the NBA is that, as I said, the playoffs will continue this week. By the next time we talk to you, on June 6th, that is the exact day that the second round of the NBA playoffs start. So we will know exactly who will be playing in the second round. We will make sure to let you know. Definitely watch the NBA playoffs. This week, it should be super exciting. Andrew, is there anything you'd like to say before we wrap up? Right, we'll talk about this more next week and the week after. But this, after next week's podcast, then another podcast, Ryan and I will be leaving for about a month. And we will be taking a short little break. But after that, we will resume. We will tell you more details next time and how you can stay up to date on your podcast. But next week, we'll have more NBA class. We'll know the better pitchers in the MLB, the random rookies who Ryan keeps talking about in the MLB. All next week on Twin Talk MN.